Hello and welcome to Public Theologians, where Christian theology animates leftist political action. I'm Casey Hobbs, and I'm so glad that you're joining today. A couple of quick plugs before I get into the subject matter and the interview today with Dr. Biko Mandela Gray. We do have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Casey Hobbs. You can support us for as little as a buck a month. We also have a way that you can support us for free. That is just by subscribing to the show, sharing it with a friend, giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. That would be so, so appreciative. Boost the visibility of this podcast in today's conversation. So speaking of today's conversation, this is the anniversary of the death of Malcolm X. This is coming out on the 21st of February. So in 1965, on this date, Malcolm X was assassinated while speaking at an OAAU rally in Harlem. There's a lot of controversy about the death of Malcolm X. There's a ton of controversy, of course, about the life of Malcolm X. He had a long and interesting journey theologically. Of course, this podcast is normally centered and focused and found in Christian theology, but I thought that his theology and his progression of theology from a Muslim standpoint was super fascinating and something that I really wanted to key in on this week. So Dr. Gray and I are going to talk a bit about his theological development and what that meant not only for Malcolm X, but also for the larger civil rights and Black power movements that he's well known for today. So this is actually the third episode where we featured Dr. Biko Mandela Gray. That's because he's a phenomenal conversation partner. He's, of course, the brilliant assistant professor of religion at Syracuse University. He specializes in African-American studies, women and gender studies. He's coming out with a book at the end of 2022 that's called Black Life Matter, Blackness, Religion, and the Subject. We're going to talk a little bit about that as our conversation goes on. So without further ado, my conversation with Dr. Biko Mandela Gray commemorating the life and theological development of Malcolm X. Biko Mandela Gray, I'm so happy to talk to you again. Yeah, it's good. It's good to be back. We had a good time last time, so I'm happy about it. It's good to see you again. Yeah, likewise. Okay, so uh, yeah, I the precipitating event to bring you back on is obviously number one. Had a great time talking to you last time, so I've been looking for a way to get you back on. But I uh, came across Manning Maribel's book on Malcolm X. And it was a really phenomenal read. Um, I actually got to listen to it in the car. So it took me like three weeks to, to read it, which was really great. Um, but there was some fascinating detail in that book about Malcolm's theology in particular. I know we're going to release this on uh, the 21st, which would have been uh, the, the anniversary of his assassination. So, you know, the political stances, I think, of Malcolm X are out there for folks that um, that are interested in accessing. Um, I'm sure we'll get into that because you can't really separate his story from the political realities that he was invested in. But the religious 
aspect and the the spiritual development I found really fascinating as I was working my way through that book. So, yeah, I mean, let's kind of start with the start at the top. Um, Malcolm X is born into a Christian home with like a Garveyite, um, strong Garveyite influence. So, yeah, talk about his beginnings, talk about Garveyism, and um, we'll go from there. Yeah, so a couple of things. I mean, I guess if we start from the very beginning, you're looking at, I mean, we want to, I mean, it depends on how you want to frame the term, but it's something like black nationalism. But Garveyism actually, and again, I want to, I'm going to say this up front, I am not an, an expert on any of these particular um, realities, but I know them well enough to speak about them. And so the first thing that I'll say about, about Garveyism is that Marcus Garvey is heavily influenced by Booker T. Washington. He comes, he's moving around in the Caribbean and eventually he stumbles upon the writings of Booker T. Washington. And what he's really interested in is the message of uplift that Washington articulates. And so what he decides to do instead of sort of Washington's kind of pragmatism, what Garvey wants is for um, what he what he sees is kind of like economic self-determination by heading back to Africa. Um, so his big so his big move is to essentially do the best he can to gather the resources to move black folks out of this country, this problematic country so far as he sees it, and move them back to Africa where they could eventually turn Africa, the continent, into essentially a global superpower that rivals North America, that rivals Europe, right? He actually, in many ways, politically, didn't have excuse me, he didn't have um, that much disagreement with um, what we might call um, imperialism. I think he I think he wanted to build an empire and wanted Africa to be a to be an empire, a, a continental empire unto itself. And well, in, in the midst of all this, Garvey is also recognizing that he you know, recognized. I don't know if he's recognizing or not, but he has developed this this denomination called the African Orthodox Church that on the one hand is blending together his political um, his political commitments to black nationalism but doing it under the frame of Christianity and that's where uh, Malcolm Little's father uh, finds himself in very real ways and um, being connected to that particular movement. Uh, Malcolm Little's father is deeply connected to Garveyism and so they're brought up from an early from an early early time uh, Malcolm Little knows um, something about black nationalism. He is absolutely aware of of what it means to be part of a black nationalist project, and in many ways is committed to it, um, or at the very least committed to it by virtue of the fact that his family's committed to it. Problem, of course, is that his mother has mental illness issues, um, and his father's you know he's not he he has an unstable home. And I think in many ways uh, that precipitated him leaving and leaving the house and going to go do other things, amongst other issues. That's those are a couple of the reasons why. So in terms of in terms of the African um, Orthodox Church, I wouldn't be able to tell you too 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 much aside from the fact that 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 there is a blend of politics and theology operative here. That God is on the side of Black folks, and then after that, I wouldn't want to say too much more except that Garvey does understand God to be committed to the mission of getting Black folks um, uh, to essentially be in a place of profound self determination. Mm -hmm. This all changes for X, of course. Well, he's, he's still well. He's little. Then he's Detroit Red. Um, he goes to jail. You know, you we. I mean, the typical narrative that you know, even though Alex Haley was known to be an FBI informant, what we know is that the the autobiography still has the skeleton, still kind of works. Um, and Marable is, I think, in many ways, providing a lot more. Um, 
flesh to that skeleton in, in very real ways. But anyway, Detroit Red shows up, and I'm going to try to, like, stop rambling, but Detroit Red yeah, shows yeah. up. Just, ramble all you want, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, Detroit Red shows up, um, and uh, and and he's moving in the streets doing his thing. He ends up in jail, and uh, he finds himself... Um, enamored if or if not just outright just astounded by some of these black muslim brothers in 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 the jail who are doing these incredible things speaking in these incredible ways yeah. and so what we tip go ahead go ahead no no no. yeah i was uh no finish your thought if you can if i didn't completely oh, sidetrack no, no, no. you uh, no go ahead yeah, okay so uh I, it's probably where you're going anyways but um maybe we'll get back to your thought if i'm gonna sidetrack you completely but yeah, so Malcolm X is, or Michael Malcolm Little at that point is is in prison doing. Um, I, I forget what his original sentence was, but he ends up doing what five years in prison. Is that about right? And mm-hmm. and in there he meets the Muslim brothers that you're you're describing. So talk about the connections between because they're, as I understand it, they're rejecting a Garveyism, um, but the underlying political um, program is very similar. So um, yeah, yeah, talk about that a little bit. It's exactly, I mean, that's exactly right, right? I mean, that was the one thing, yeah, you did take the thought out of my head. So in scholarship, scholarship, we typically, at least the classical scholarship on the black Muslims, there's this genealogical line or genealogical thread of black nationalism running through um, so much of this. And a lot of folks tend to make connections between, for example, Noble Drew Ali and the Moore Science Temple. And they, um, what, what a lot of the earlier scholars, particularly C. Eric Lincoln does, is tie all of these black religious movements together by way of their political commitments to black nationalism. The problem, of course, with this is, is that by the time you get into the different religious dimensions of these particular movements, things start to change quite a bit. And Garvey was very clear that he was Christian, very clear that his God, even though it is it, it, it is refracted through black nationalism, he's still committed to a certain kind of Christian logic. Uh, he's very clear about that. And so the African Orthodox Church is still in that particular vein. What you get in, and okay, so we're gonna do this. So a little yeah, bit yeah. of context, really, really briefly. The way that we often, the way that scholars often read the Nation of Islam is they often read it as um, a development that comes out of an earlier movement called the Moore Science Temple of America. Um, and here, the argument essentially is just sort of basic that you know people are that Noble Drew Ali um, is actually making a claim that Black folks, um, their genealogical origins are back to the Moors. Uh, and essentially black Muslim people in, I want to say, northwestern Africa, if I'm not mistaken. But don't quote me on that. But the <laughs> point is, is that these folks were actually Muslim. They were not necessarily Christian. And that's the point that Noble Drew Ali wants to really push, is that these folks are engaged in a different kind of religious orientation. Now, the, the Moore Science Temple is also esoteric in very real ways. They are, they are, they are dibbling and dabbling in some really interesting um signs and symbol networks it's it's a, it's not just straight up islam there is a there is a, there's a kind of what what popular people would call an occult dimension to it sure. but what scholars would call an esoteric dimension to, mm. to it right there's a there's a secret knowledge that that you have to know to to sort of be fully initiated into the more science temple the story goes 
that um, this, uh, we don't know his, his racial designation, but this Persian man sort of emerges out of nowhere who has heard about Noble Drew Ali and the relations are tenuous so far as I know, because I don't know if, if he, if Noble Drew Ali changes and becomes W. Farb Muhammad, there's so many different, yeah. but, but the typical, but the typical reading here is, is that W. Farb Muhammad was at the very least familiar with Noble Drew Ali's Morris Science Temple. He arrives in Chicago, early 30s, I think, um, and decides, I guess he's doing sort of door-to-door -door salesman type stuff. And eventually he he recognizes or he want, he begins preaching, not necessarily a gospel uh, because a gospel would be Christian, but he begins telling black folks, A, you don't recognize that your real roots are in Islam, not Christianity. And this is where the distinction between Garveyism, like, like, yes, they're sure. both black nationalist movements, right? But Garvey, but Garvey's church was more or less operating along Christian lines. Mm -hmm. What W. Farb Muhammad does is he says, not only are you all Muslim, but I have a brand new, like, myth for you, a brand new origin story for you. You know, forget Adam and Eve, mm -hmm. throw that out, right? That's not it, right? No, like Noah and the flood, none of that. The real story is back in the day, everybody was black, right? And black folks were doing their things, geniuses, right? And there was this dude who, I guess, for reasons that are nebulous and unclear, there was this dude named Yakub who was like, I'm kind of sick of this shit. I don't mean to cuss, but this is kind of like how. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. So, so Yakub so Yacoub is like, look, looking around. I, I, the, the reasons why he decides to do this for me are still unclear because I'm not a specialist in this. Mm -hmm. But depends on who you're talking to. There, there are different reasons for this. What we do know is that the story goes that Yacoub decides that he wants to create what he calls a kind of like derivative grafted race and he's a genius he's a genetic genius right and so what he does is he starts finding ways to produce to to essentially like amplify what we understand or what he understood as a recessive gene and start lightening the black race eventually until we get its polar opposite mm -hmm. is a white person now according to the myth Yacoub would say, or according to the myth, the, the Nation of Islam myth, the myth of Yacoub, as they would might say, according to this particular myth, white people actually aren't people then. They're actually genetic derivatives mm. of the origin of what of what the Nation of Islam calls the original man, which is the black Cop man. Copies of a uh, copy at that point. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Like, you know, like if you you know, I don't I mean cloning and all that, you know, like <laughs> my 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 uh my pop culture reference goes to multiplicity with uh, Michael Keaton <laughs> as, it, <laughs> as it continues to right. yeah, exactly. with, instead of like the the just uh, multiplied into like kind of idiocy you're we're like multiplied into idiocy and evil <laughs> it's, it's like a, mal it's a malignant idiocy yeah. at that point right right but this but you're actually i mean this is exactly right though right I mean, this is what he wants to do he wants to multiply he wouldn't say idiocy he would actually sure. say evil, right because right. he's like like white folks are are, are pretty savvy right mm -hmm. and so what and so what what he was but, but but the myth goes right that these 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 beings that look like people aren't actually people they're they're they have been 
they have been genetically bred to be as vile and as evil as they are, mm. right? And so this matters in 1930s Detroit or the 1930s Chicago because there's a man by the name of Elijah Poole who hears this and he's a Baptist preacher and he meets this guy. Um, but in the but in the but he meets this guy at some point in time in the middle of talking to W. Fart Muhammad, Elijah Poole, his friend, he sees his friend get lynched and sees all these white mm. folks celebrating the lynching. Mm. And he's like, there's something to this particular myth because right. everywhere I look, white folks under the name of Christianity often, right? In the name of a certain sure. kind of yeah. morality are actually murdering my people, right? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so, yeah. and so what goes, and so what goes down it's, is, go ahead, go ahead. No, yeah, I mean, it's, it's easy to, and it's easy to sit back and kind of chuckle at like the, the entire myth making. I think you can say that about any religion, right? It like it's yes. from the outside, it's, it seems crazy. And then, yeah, I mean, you just talk about like the, the life experience of a black man in the 30s. Like, I mean, I, it's kind of easy, actually, to figure out how, like, I mean, that would be a very nice. easy sell. At Precisely. That point. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. If you are, you're absolutely right. And that's the one thing that that, you know, often my students sort of get get caught up in because sure. I'll be like, you know, like, you know, oh, well. Well, the nation of Islam says white folks are devils, and then of course my white students are like, "Oh my God, like I'm, I'm not a horrible person." Yeah, and I'm like, and I'm like, put yourself in 1930s United States, sure. right? Where lynchings are not not just when lynchings aren't one offs; they're regularities. These mm -hmm. are events that people go to, right? That people mm -hmm. celebrate. Place that in conversation with black folks ain't really been free that long, right? Yeah, right. Or free or emancipated that long, right? Black folks ain't really been emancipated that long, and so you've got you've got a whole bunch of cities burning. You've got to, like so 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 Elijah Elijah Poole sees this. And W. Far Muhammad gives him a, a, a mythical and theological reason for it, okay. which is to say, this these folks cannot help but be the way they are. They are genetically bred to be that way, right now. And you're, I, I love that you bring this up because the truth of the matter is, from the outside of the Christian mythological imagination, you you have you would think that you would think it was also absurd yeah. to think about God flooding an entire planet and and then all of a sudden like one family like repopulates an entire planet like that's a lot yeah. especially for a guy who was as old and as drunk as Noah was right <laughs> right you know what I mean I've, so like, I've, I've always had a hard time with that especially when I was younger and I get fixated on existential right. questions a lot more. Like, how does that happen. How, like I mean, I mean, or or you know, or if you take the second creation story, like one man and one woman populated an entire like that's a lot to hang on to people. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and so it's like, but, but within the myth making world, within that mythological yeah. structure, everything locks Easy. in. Everything right. makes sense, right? Yeah. And and so and so we look at and so if we take that step, uh, take that approach with the nation of Islam, what you realize then is that that this myth structure makes sense for a lot of people for two reasons one it explains why white folks treat black folks so badly and so blatantly and two it provides dignity for black folks in the midst of this violence which is to say if the original man is black which is what they say 
and the original man and one of them was you know kind of a messed up dude but like but like even if the original man created white folks then at the end of the day you you're endowed with a certain kind of dignity to say no 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 i'm i'm bigger and i'm better than this right I, I I have dignity, and that and that appealed to the masses. It appealed also it appealed specifically to Elijah Poole. and what that meant though is is that the theology shifted. We're no longer in what we would call a Christian like the redemption narrative actually does not come through some person dying on the cross for your sins, right? It doesn't come through, it doesn't come from some person dying on the cross for your sins. The redemption narrative, the salvation comes through you committing yourself to serving Allah, right? But it turns out, here's the wild part about it, in the Lost Found Lessons, I think it's Lost Found Lesson number 20, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, so I hope no one quotes me on this. But in the catechisms of the Nation of Islam's teachings, there is a. it turns out that the God or the cream of the universe, the, who, who God is, is black people, particularly black men. Right. And in, and in the case and in the case of the original sort of doctrine of Nation of Islam theology, God was embodied in W. Fard Muhammad. Sure. So if you hear if you would hear um, if you would hear uh, Malcolm when he was when he was the national minister of the Nation of Islam, he would say something like all praises be to Allah and, uh, and the prophet Muhammad, his messenger. Mm -hmm. Right, because yeah. Muhammad disappears, doesn't die. He just disappears, <laughs> just like Elijah does. You know, like mm -hmm. Elijah just walks, yeah. disappears. And of course, people are like, oh, he died. Like we don't know where he went, mm -hmm. and Elijah he kind of like left as mysteriously as he arrived. Essentially, one hundred percent shows up out of nowhere in Chicago and then disappears just as quickly after his disciple has received all of his teachings. His disciple being Elijah Muhammad. Muhammad builds this entire nation of Islam on the basis of what he learned from Allah, right? From mm -hmm. from W. Bar Muhammad. And this is where Malcolm X enters the scene. He's in jail. He's been struggling, but these black men are speaking differently, articulating themselves differently. He knew, like at the time, Detroit Red knew he was brilliant, but he had been denigrated so much that he was like, you know, and so he, you know what I mean? And so he ends up, he ends up getting with these dudes. He writes his letter because you have to write a letter to get in. You know, Elijah Muhammad likes like accepts him into the fold. He gets his ex. Now he's you know Malcolm X, right? He's no longer Detroit race. No longer Malcolm Little. He's Malcolm X. And Muhammad knows Elijah Muhammad knows how brilliant and how charismatic of a man he is, and also quite frankly how beautiful of a man he is. Mm -hmm. Like this is like Malcolm X is gorgeous, right? I mean, mm -hmm. like it, all of that has to work sure, if, sure. You're gonna, if you're going to have a national spokesperson. Yeah, and so, and so Elijah Muhammad, Elijah Muhammad essentially, you know, capitalizes off of that, right? Mm -hmm. And so and so those are the distinctions we can talk. By the time we get by the time he goes to Mecca and is split from the nation, he's pretty much an Orthodox Muslim at that mm -hmm. point, right? So if you know what Orthodox Islam is, you know what Sunni Islam is. That's what that's what Malcolm X is, or El El Haj Malik El Haj Malik El Shabazz is by the end of his life. But it's this middle period of his life when he's with the nation that a lot of folks get get confused. And and, and so and and the reason why we the reason why I'm happy you're asking me to talk about this because 
a lot of folks assume that the nation's black, the nation's uh, nation of Islam's version of nationalism is just a political nationalism. Mm. It isn't. Right. It, it is not. It is a religious nationalism built for black Muslims or for whoever is into whoever is invited and initiated into the nation, which is to say it's not just we're going to go fight and all, like, no, like God has, has declared and decreed that we would have this. Mm -hmm. And that's what, and that, and that's, that's informing their nationalist orientation or nationalist bent. So, yeah. so that, that, that provides some like theological context for what's going down. Definitely. I, uh, there's a, a bunch that comes to my mind as you say that, but one thing that I, I found fascinating in encountering Malcolm X and and really kind of starting to get into understanding who he was and and the Nation of Islam is one of the breaking points for for him at least as Maribal is describing it is the is Elijah Muhammad's um, reluctance or refusal to engage politically and specifically there's like there's a whole this whole scene that is it a man or a few a few uh men of the nation of islam are basically attacked by new york city police and you have in, uh the the scene in um spike lee's uh takeoff of of malcolm x autobiography has this really great scene and, and it's described again in maribald's writing of the noi members standing outside the police station and Malcolm is able to go in and advocate, but he there's it's clear that he, whether it's like going back to um, Cornell West language, whether it's the gangster in him that is wanting to fight, um, or if there's or if that's really him taking taking that as a true religious standpoint, he wants he wants there to be retribution, um, yeah, and that's seems like that's one of the breaking points because. Then OI, at least externally, is really set on, uh, and you wouldn't even say nonviolence, but like a non, um, non-participation in um, the larger white society. So I thought that was really fascinating. And I don't know, because everything I know about Malcolm X, which uh, frankly comes from just I don't even know where what I know about Malcolm X came from. Right, right. Like, but was about the violence. Like every, I think, right. I think there's, you know, you hear Martin Luther King is uh, for peace. Malcolm X is for war. And I mean, as a white guy, you're like, I'm all for Dr. King. <laughs> and uh, Malcolm X scares me. And that's, uh, that, that about does it. <laughs> I would say, I would say, I mean, I appreciate you. I would appreciate you being, I like, I not would, I do appreciate you being honest about, about how, how someone like X might, might terrify you. I would say a couple of things just to clarify. I, I don't, I like, Marable knows this better than I do. Right. But what I would say is, um, one, um, what you see with the nation of Islam under the leadership of the prophet Elijah Muhammad, like peace be upon him, what you see is not necessarily a nonviolent approach, but what we might call an apolitical approach, which is mm -hmm. to say, which is, which is to say, he's just not interested in participating in government issues. So for a long time, the nation of Islam wasn't about voting. Like we, they just didn't do it because 
That's for them. What? That's for that. That's for that. The world. Yeah. We're here to develop our nation, literally our nation of people, and move differently than the way the world does, right? And you can imagine that. You can imagine that that this that this puts someone who is a fighter like my, like Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. It puts them in a compromising position, right? Because you do go, you advocate, get your people out, and instead of like, and instead of like taking these cops on, mm-hmm. it's too much power for one man, and all of them, all of them walk out, in, in as the scene goes, mm-hmm. right, right. And you saw, you see this happening often, right? That 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 the nation at that time was not engaged in what we might call formal political processes. The reason why I call it apolitical is because if you hit one of them, they will hit your ass back. That was that's the difference, right? That King shows up as a peaceful person, though mm-hmm. nonviolence requires violence. But but King shows up as a peaceful person mm-hmm. in distinction to the nation of Islam and in particular Malcolm X, who's going to say, "Don't hit me." Because if you hit me, I'm going to hit your ass back, mm-hmm. right? Like you know, so that becomes the difference, and he gets crafted in that way, in part truthfully because self-defense is completely different than you know covering yourself up and protecting yourself but on the other side of it he's there there is not a real um how do i say this a real sort of pugnacity coming a little a fighting coming from the top like i mean the the popular the most popular example is the chickens coming home to roost right right that's that's the one where things really fall to shit, right? Where they're like, right. at the end of the day, and, and, and Elijah Muhammad is shrewd. Like he's a brilliant organizer. This man is not like, that's why people don't like, Elijah Muhammad is a brilliant organizer, a mm-hmm. visionary when it comes to this. Like, quiet as is kept, if he could get, if he had Donald Trump's money, he'd be running a, he would have been running a Fortune 500 company. He's sure, that sure. good, like he's good. And, and I bring this up just to say, Elijah Muhammad knew that black people were in love with JFK, mm. that he was one of the white boys that black folks didn't really, you know, that we that we allowed to have like sure. you know, a lot of white folks problems. But that one, you know, you know, he was cute, mm. you know, he was charismatic and all that type of stuff. And so and so Elijah Muhammad knew this. And so for him. He's like, look, and you know this already, you know, what happens. He's like, look, don't say nothing about this man and mm. exodus. And then we start to see splintering happen at that particular point, right? So I bring all of this up just to say that, yes, there is a, this is why I also say it's a religious nationalism over against a kind of like black political national, because Garvey is negotiating with, with clanners. Garvey is negotiating with white folks. Garvey is saying, I like, I want to be gone. You want me gone too. How we figure out how to do this. That is not the strategy of the nation of Islam. Not at least um, not at that point. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm curious too, because there is that a scene again in Maribel's work that uh that Malcolm does meet with uh is it clan members or uh yeah. does a, some sort of neo Nazi yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and there's like expressed like there's obviously there's shame when that comes out. Um, but at least in the narrative of Maribel, that's that was a that was an order that came down from um, from Elijah Muhammad that that really um, animated that action. And so that was again kind of one of the cracks that he points to in that narrative. I'm wondering too. Yeah, I mean, because it seems 
it seems like there almost would be those overlapping. Um, it, I mean, this is this ideas, is where yeah. things. Get, yeah, this is where things get really tricky, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, you're absolutely right. If we, if we, I mean, I can't. Marable knows this stuff, or or the text will probably sure. give you a much better sense of this than I would. Mm-hmm. My reading of that particular thing is, yeah, like like they're willing to meet, right? Mm-hmm. But but the meeting, but the meeting kind of like falls to shit. Like yeah, it, yeah. Doesn't, like, it doesn't. It go doesn't go anywhere. That's for sure. Yeah, it doesn't go the way that he because X wants to walk in there and say you crack motherfucker, like wants to <laughs> yeah. go in there and go off, right? Mm-hmm. But 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 actually, nothing comes of the meeting one way or the other and it's just an embarrassment mm. right yeah. whereas and this and again and and again i can't i've never been able to discern muhammad's motivations sure. uh, elijah muhammad's motivations peace be I, i've just never been able to to discern them he, he's he's incredibly shrewd but there were there were times where he would make decisions that seemed to be bold and there were other times where and so I just bring all of that up to say that that there is a lot of ambiguity and sort of like complexity there, whereas Garvey's very clear about why he might meet with the Clanners. He's sure. very clear. You it don't want sense. me here. It makes perfect sense yeah. on his level. Yeah, exactly. You don't want me here. I don't want to be here. Right. Uh, and Quinas is kept like I'd be better served building an army in Africa where I could take you out under the guise of war, right? Yeah. Like, so they're, they're clear about this, right? Mm-hmm. It's not always clear what's going on in terms of in terms of what Elijah Muhammad is thinking. But what we do know is, or at least what what I'd know, and again, I've got colleagues who probably knows better and probably be able to like speak to more of the details of it. But but from what I can tell, the religious dimensions of the Nation of Islam's version of nationalism is keeping them from doing a lot of things that you would see, for example, in Garvey's nationalist movement. They are not explicitly political. They are not explicitly, not in the same way, and by that I mean they're not explicitly engaged in the sort of formal political processes. They are making their own money, right? So this is the thing, like the Nation of Islam is making good money in the 30s and 40s. They're doing okay for themselves. They're trying to figure out how to make something work. So I'm bringing all this up just to say it's a different modality of nationalism. It's not necessarily trying to build a world empire, right? But it is trying to craft a nation for black folks that will allow for them to live under their God. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I know it was a long winded, but that's. that's, Yeah, no, that's. Because I. And I think I bring up that, that scene, that episode just to to highlight i mean yeah just the complexity of all that and and yeah i mean it definitely seemed out of out of keeping in a, in a sense but you could yeah i mean it's with that the similarities to garveyism seems like man that's a, how do you how do you divide the one and the other and yeah i mean it's and i don't know i think especially when we think about religious movements it's a lot easier to read it all after the fact and say, you know, that's inconsistent with your religious sentiments and, um, and yeah, maybe, but it's, it's a, de- but, but if it's I a mean, developing process with people, then what do you expect? <laughs> yes. I mean, that's, that's the brilliant, I mean, that's the, that's the wonderful part. I like, and that's the thing that I, I, I struggle with as a scholar sometimes is that we sure. will see, well, there are inconsistencies here, there, and, there, and yeah. I'm like, these are people yeah. making their way <laughs> The world trying to figure out how the f- to live yeah, yeah. when you've got anti-blackness coming at you at all, and so yeah. you have 
But and so the fascinating thing for me then is it's not even really the nation of Islam's theology, but like X's decision, and I found I still find it fascinating. X's decision when he leaves the nation and comes back and organizes for him to say in the Ballad of the Bullet speech, this is the most, one of the most popular ones that he says, he says, I'll leave my Islam at home if you leave your Christianity at home mm. and, and we come together and do some work as it relates. Because we all, doesn't matter what you believe in, it, 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 we all are getting toe up, up under this. And it's such a striking shift theologically Right, because up until that point, whatever Elijah Muhammad said, that's what he was holding on to. But he changes. Yeah. And now he's like, like, yes, I do I, I've done the Hajj. I do I you know, I pray five times a day, I do salat, I do, you know, I go to I go to Jamal like he was doing all the things that he was doing as an Orthodox, but he would go to these public spaces and he would say, If you can bracket your Christianity I can bracket my, 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 my identity as a Muslim. And we can come together and work some things out. That is such a radical difference. And quite frankly, if he had not been killed, a lot of people have said this, him and King would have been, they would have been filthy together. Yeah. I have no doubt in my sure. mind that they were leaning, King was leaning more to the left. Yeah. And X was coming coming out of that sort of like, religious myopia and starting to think more collaboratively mm -hmm. and i just theologically it was it was they were ready yeah then and then of course you know x gets killed and and then eventually king does but yeah, yeah. i don't know I, this is always exciting to me it's just because i x is my guy like x is mm -hmm. my guy like king King's all right to me, but but <laughs> yeah. X is my guy. Like right. he's the person that, I find that I'm, I'm deeply in because he's deeply insecure, and, and mm. he changes, and yeah. he shifts over time. So anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm I'll leave it at that. But yeah, that's yeah. that's that's the theology in a nutshell. I mean, it's it's mm -hmm. African Orthodox Christianity, then the Nation of Islam, and then he's Sunni, but he's Sunni in a way that completely shifts the dynamics for him in terms of how he moves politically through the world. Yeah, and I want to get into that change and, and in particular how that relates to his death because um, obviously he becomes a threat to uh, the NOI and, and all of that. So, you know, definitely want to go into that. I wanted to circle back one more time to, to the theology of the NOI because there's one aspect that I found really interesting and um, haven't quite been able to trace back to really understand, but there's this lost tribe of Shabazz um, mm -hmm. that is obviously central to NOI theology and, and culture, you know, even uh, the taking the name Shabazz uh, with Malcolm X and then uh, his widow, Betty Shabazz, like there's, that's obviously, again, a huge cultural marker, but talk about the, the myth narrative of the last tribe of Shabazz and how that factors into into all that. I don't know as much, much as about, yeah. I don't know much about it. To be honest, I mean, I I would say like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say I, I'm <laughs> I'm going to respect and not speculate because what I want to say is that is that you know the, this the, this discourse of lost. I, I so I'm not going to do that. What I what I will say. I could cut is, off this. I could cut out this part too, but I'm interested. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not. I don't. I don't. I don't mind. I mean, yeah, one yeah. of the big 
one of the brilliant thing, one of the things that makes a, a scholar, good scholar good is when they say when they don't know, right? Yeah, so I'm very okay. Hundred like, percent. Yeah. Like, like I will not lie That's... and say, but but I will say that in terms of I I won't speak for the NOI specifically. What I will speak about is the five percenters who are drawing from NOI work and they speak of themselves as trying to sort of save the laws. I don't want to go any further than that uh, I, because in large part, then we've got to get into like catechisms and like, I'd have those resources somewhere, but sure. I don't have them in front of me. Um, but, but yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I don't want to go any, any further than yeah. that. I'm sorry. But no, yeah. that, makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I think you're right. That I feel like um, so much of, so much of uh, cultural shit right now is like everyone has to pretend like they know everything at all times, and it's no, yeah. no, no, I'm not gonna. I'm never, yeah, no, yeah, I'm never gonna presume. It's yeah. it's well, it's also it's too it's too central to the sure, nation. Yeah, to, like, I understand, like like the thing about it is, is that like, and I, I I mean, you can keep this in, edit out, it doesn't matter. Like I'm I'm a specialist in another community that's an offshoot of the nation. It's all called the Five Percenters, and so. I'm familiar with how they understand discourses of lostness. I'm under, I'm familiar with how they, but the nation, I know them well enough to understand how they operate contextually for the five percenters. And so I bring that up just to say, like, what becomes central so far as I can tell, at least for at least for both Malcolm and for the founder of the five percenters, Clarence Clarence Thirteen X, a lot is that it, it is actually that original claim that the black the black person or black people are divine which is say that they are god now i don't know now, now and that's and that's why i leave it now yeah then lewis faircon does some different things with the nation and so you mentioned the you mentioned that shift to orthodox islam and uh the um the hajj he makes to to mecca and so talk about it, and that's that's in the wake of his his comments on JFK and the chickens have come home to roost. And now this is also the same time that, uh, that a string of illegitimate children are found <laughs> with, um, with the prophet. And so things are starting to really rift and crumble down and he's expelled or temporarily suspended with sort of <laughs> uh, air quotes on temporarily. And, and then, so he makes this trip to, to Mecca and talk about like what he found there and how that shifts his theology away from, away from NOI theology, but, um, and then towards that more rooted historical universal Muslim identity. Right. right. I mean, so, so a couple of things you got to know up front is that like, the nation of Islam is a religious orientation. There's no way around it. And I'm and I'm going to I'm going to be careful here because I'm just going to try my best to be careful here because it, it gets tricky once you start talking about, you know, the prophet Elijah Muhammad. Um, what I will say is it is a religious orientation through and through. But Elijah Muhammad was running the thing that has to be kept in mind like he's he is at the top running everything making decisions having access clearly to whoever he wants in this sure. particular situation and it was one thing you know for him to say the chickens come home to roost and that's a problem it's another thing when when decisions are being made about your marital life 
And I'll leave it right there. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into any more details other than there were some in, there were some profound difficulties happening for Malcolm X that, so far as I can tell, uh, it's not clear to me that he actually loved Betty Shabazz, and it's not clear to me that she loved him either. So, so, it, so I'm just going to say that to say that is all operative up under Elijah Muhammad's umbrella, and so he gets kicked. He, well, you're right; he gets temporarily suspended. Um, after making the JFK comment, he's trying to get himself in a certain way back into the good graces with the whole Muhammad Ali thing, like, or Cassius Clay at the time, like, trying to bring, you know, trying to show how good, how important he is, he brings Cassius Clay to the nation, eventually Cassius Clay becomes Muhammad Ali and then shades him out. Mm-hmm. All this to say, you know, he he realizes he's on the outs, he makes a, he makes a hajj to Mecca. And what he recognizes, at least this is what uh, this is what Haley's uh, autobiography or Haley's version of the autobiography says. And this is what a couple of his secondary sources say. And he gets over there and he says, and he realizes it didn't matter what racial identity you had. Everyone followed the same ritual, ritual enactments. Hmm. So it's that Islam was open to everybody, right? Islam was open to, to, to every person. So he's he's walking around the Kaaba. He's doing all these things with a whole bunch of different folks. Oh, and then the wild part is he's doing it with white folks. Right? Yeah. Right. Now, mind you, in the United States, he's thrown by this, right? Because in the United States, we actually only have two races, which is white or not white or mm-hmm. black or not black, depending on how you want to frame it. But sure. we, we operate along a racial binary. So racial identity is, 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 is it's structured antagonistically in a way to where white folks necessarily are anti, like you're never going to, there are a couple white folks here and there that you might be able to, you know, kick it with, but for the mm-hmm. most part on the main, white folks are trouble for black folks. Sure. And he gets to Mecca and he's like, oh shit. Some of these people, they look like the people that, that terrorized me back in the United States, but we're all doing this together, dressed in similar garb. And then he and, and that's and I think for him, that's what shifts his perspective, like like significantly. Now, he that doesn't mean he loses a criticism of of, of anti-blackness when sure. he comes back to the States. It all, and he doesn't become all lives matter all of a sudden. Let me be very clear. About <laughs> right. That. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. He doesn't he doesn't, he doesn't leave. He doesn't leave and go to Mecca and come back liberal. He doesn't. But, but right. what happens for him is, is that he recognizes Yes, there are. There's the possibility for white folks to be different than what I knew. That myth of Yakub is not actually holding for me in the same way that it that it once did. But at the end of the day, and this is this is the no part about it. At the end of the day, it allows me, it equips me to come back to the United States and accurately diagnose and speak truth to power and call out the bullshit of white supremacy for what it actually is. Right. Yeah. These folks, you you might be nice all you want to be, and yet you still got a knee on my neck, right? And and I think he sees, I think he sees, he's able to he's able to diagnose that much more sharply and acutely outside of the mythological context of the nation of Islam. And so that shift, which is to say, Allah is for everyone, right? Which is to say, Allah is God over everyone. Mm-hmm. That shift that happens when he comes to Mecca ironically allows him to be a sharper critic of anti-blackness when he comes back. Um, yeah. And I think I think that 
Yeah, I, I, I honestly think that that really helped because he's able to say, he's honestly able to say at that point, I'm no longer, I'm, it's not It's not that I think white folks are irredeemable anymore, right? It's not that they're just sort of like helpless devils out here just doing, for him, it, it, it changes enough for him to say, I saw some things differently, but this doesn't stop me from being the critic of anti-blackness that I was before. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's really fascinating aspect to that that I hadn't considered in, in hearing and thinking through this this story. And I mean, it makes perfect sense too. If if everyone is is whitewashed as a as a devil individually, then yeah, I mean, you're even like you're not you're not gonna get anywhere talking to devils. Like you've got to you've got to have your own situation in there and but yeah if there is this universality that white people have rejected in the west like then there's then it's like a construct that we've that is deep and obviously very 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 hard to shake off but it's possible in that sense um that's the thing i mean this i don't mean to interrupt but that but that's yeah, that's just, what makes it so that's what makes Islam is such a fascinating religion in the West for me, and, and not because I'm, I'm not an Islam scholar by any means, but what's so interesting about it is, is you're absolutely right that once you come outside of a certain mythological context, whether that's native Islam or that's, you know, Western Christianity, like once you come out of that, you're able to see that there's a certain, there's a certain commitment to Christian logics in the West that actually allow for it to militate against hmm like non-Christian religious orientations, which is to say at that point, it's not that people are irredeemable. You now can see, like you can see the machine, like right. you know, major, right? You can see <laughs> yeah. like, you can see the logic, the religious logics operative beneath and behind and beyond and between everything that's going down, right? So it, it's so, you know, we can, we can, you know, shit on Donald Trump all day. Oh, he, you know, banned Muslim countries. Right. But like the reality is he did that because that's what the West does. Yeah. Right. Like not, that's, that's, he's not, you know, so it's, but once you're able to see the different mythological construct, then you can, you can, you can pay attention to that because both Islam and Christianity are laying claim to universality, both orientations claim that they are universal, claim that their gods are universal, claim that their gods are the gods of the universe. Mm -hmm. But but when you're outside of both of them, you can see how these things are being deployed in different ways. And I I personally find that fascinating. And I think Malcolm X is able to see the West for what it is once he once he makes that pilgrimage, I think. Um, and that changes his that changes his 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 matrix. It changes his perspective on things. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that change perspective, and I think if I'm not mistaken, he was starting to do this a little bit because he's on that indefinite leave um, and, uh, from the NOI. And so he starts his own, he's starting Muslim Mosque Incorporated in New York City. And again, he's kind of reimagining what that would look like from an orthodox, orthodox Muslim viewpoint. And so my question, and 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 this gets into his assassination and um, whether or not there are government forces, uh, FBI or whatever involved. Um, and that wouldn't be shocking, wouldn't be surprising. Um, if you know, know something about that, that I don't, um, I'm all ears on that. But, but there's what's certain though, is that there are NOI members that are 
implicated in it that are the trigger men um, that are ultimately at least personally responsible for the assassination of King, of, of, I'm sorry, of Malcolm X. Um, I'm also listening to the MLK tapes right now as a podcast, uh-huh. which yeah, um, so I'm yeah. like, I'm like just all into that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but, but yeah, so, so yeah, talk about why, why Malcolm would be a threat to NOI, uh, to the yeah. nation when he comes back. So this is such an interesting, I mean, it's an interesting question because there's a couple of things. There's like, you're right. There's a couple of layers to this. I would say I was, and I'm always like hesitant because like, I'm still weirdly paranoid about this, even though it's like been, you know, decades. There's a fun documentary that like actually talks about quite a bit of this stuff, but, but from what we, but from what I, I can tell, um, and from what, from the little that, that I know is, X becomes a problem because X is not able to sustain himself, mm-hmm. right? So he's staying in a house bought by the Nation of Islam in New York when he comes back. Uh, and the, and they're threatening to take the house away. I think there's some lawsuit that happens here and there. And the problem, and the problem here is, is that he sat down on indefinite leave or indefinite suspension or, you know, whatever. But he's but what's happening is, is that he's feeling the distance. And so he begins to be more and more vocal about what we might call Elijah Muhammad's inconsistencies. Let's call them inconsistencies sure. for now, right? You know what I mean, right? He's supposed to be, yeah, Elijah Muhammad's doing some dirty shit. Like, you yeah. know, he just was. And so, and so, and so X is, X is calling that out. And that, and this is why, this is why I'm earlier when I said, yes, you know, the Nation of Islam is a religiously black nationalist movement, but Elijah Muhammad's running the show. The reason why I said that was because the, he become he gets targeted because he targets Elijah Muhammad, right? He becomes, it, it's not just that, you know, he sat down, mm-hmm. right? It's not just that he said chickens come home to roost. Those are the things that actually militate the movement, the 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 the, or the, the nation against him. They they get him to sit him down, mm-hmm. but he becomes a problem when you start speaking about out against the national against against the prophet, and that's that's one of the primary layers. The secondary layer, which is always the layer, which for me is the layer for King for everybody, is you're right. The feds are there. Mm-hmm. There, there, there are informants in both the Nation of Islam come to find out the day that he's killed. I, if I'm not mistaken, one of the people who was actually up there with him on the podium was supposed to be his security is a cop. So there is so so the fed, this he's hated on all sides. Sure. And, 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 and the truth of the matter is, if you read, if you open the autobiography at the opening of it, I think it's like early, early, early in the text, he says, he says, I thought I'd be dead by the time this came out. Because hmm. he knows. He knows things are bad news. True. And so, so the reality is, is yeah, that's what, that, like what, what's motivating it is a confluence of things. One, everyone knows how much power this man has as an orator. Right. No one's confused about that. I mean, him and him and King, they can they know how to speak to the public and and having that kind of brilliant oratorical skills does something. Right. And so I think for I think for um, for for X and for the government, they're like, we can't have this dude out here doing this. And and Elijah Muhammad can't have him out here, you know, spilling all his all his draws out in the street. Mm-hmm. Right. So 
there becomes a conflation, there becomes a confluence of inter of interests that occur. And yes, we we are we are made to assume that the there are members of the Nation of Islam who killed him. I don't know, and I'm going to leave. I, I I'm not. It, there were people who went to jail who were members of the nation sure. uh, for killing him. I'm not sure. I, I I still don't know what really went down. Although there are some there's some very strong evidence from Farrakhan, like right after he gets killed. Yeah, all I'll say is the nation was involved somehow. I just don't know how. I don't know how much. Yeah, I don't know how much the feds are involved and how much the nation is involved. But I do know that they that it was in everyone's best interest for this person to no longer be around. Sure. So I'll leave. I'll leave it there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. So talk about legacy too and. You brought up yes. Farrakhan, uh, and so you know Farrakhan um, has has been is still um, the the face of Nation of Islam, um, yeah. and so yeah. So I guess how has he? I don't know if you want to talk about how how more uh, his implication <laughs> in. Um, because he's a fascinating character too. I mean, yes, converted he, essentially by Malcolm X, right? Yeah, um, I mean, in a, very, in a very real way, he was. He was. I mean, he. I mean, he. He. There had. There happened. Oh God, I wish my boy was here because he can tell this story so much better than I can. But I'm gonna. I'm gonna try my best to tell the story mm-hmm. um, uh, quickly. What he does is so so Elijah Muhammad dies. Now, yeah, he is brought in, I believe. I believe he is brought in under Malcolm X, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. But he becomes very quickly a darling of 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 you know Prophet Muhammad, right? And that that makes perfect sense. He also is handsome, he can speak well, you know, and he's gifted. So it makes sense that you know that starts to happen. Um, but the issue is actually not when X dies for in terms of legacy, in terms of legacy, the issue is not so much uh, when X dies with Farrakhan as it is when the prophet Muhammad mm-hmm. dies. Right? When prophet Elijah Muhammad dies, that's when things get tricky because the prophet Elijah Muhammad's son was supposed to lead the nation. Sure. And, and his name is Warth Dean Muhammad. He decides, nah, we going, we're going to go Sunni. We're going to go full on orthodox. That's where we're going to take this thing. Mm-hmm. And so he starts leaning it that way. And everyone's kind of okay with it, but mm-hmm. not really because all of the punchy, you know, race stuff that was there that gave black folks dignity is starting to like be, it's starting to get closer to like X is, you know, what X right. knows true in terms of like Sunni Islam, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's this shift in, and that's all going down. Louis Farrakhan recognizes that there's an opportunity here, that some people are dissatisfied. And so Warth Udin uh, Muhammad takes it in this other direction, changes the name, I forget what he calls it. I think it's like All Islam or something like that. And and instead of and instead of following, Louis Farrakhan brings back the original nation of Islam. I don't know, hmm. brings back is not the right word, but but sure. starts to follow out of that that lineage again, but with some significant shifts. One is um members of the nation of Islam can vote now. 
So that's the first thing. And members of the Nation of Islam can, you know, participate in informal political processes. That 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 was not necessarily something that was kind of on the books True. early on. The second thing that he does that I find um, that that my boy actually writes about, his name is Stephen Finley. He's a scholar of um, Black religion at, at LSU. The other thing that 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 Louis Farrakhan does that I find um, particularly interesting is that the Nation of Islam becomes a UFO religion under him. Hmm. So what this means is that he has a vision of a of a of an unidentified flying object when he's in Tenochtitlan, Mexico, and he see he's actually brought in, he's abducted into this thing. Although abduct is not the right word, but he's brought into what he calls a mother wheel, and he sees hmm. the Prophet Elijah Muhammad and W. Far Muhammad. They give him a message, and they tell him, "You got to you got to go back and tell America this." He holds a press conference and. This is in the 90s and he you know tells america about itself the reality is and this is what people don't really recognize or don't really want to pay attention to is as late as 2020 or 2021 he is still holding on to that ufo experience hmm. and so and so the legacy of the nation of islam shifts dramatically under louis farrakhan because there's a certain kind of political um, involvement that they can now get engaged in but there's also this ufo dimension of their cosmology now that's starting to be tapped into and then the third thing is is that under under louis farrakhan they're far 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 more ecumenical than they were hmm. under prophet elijah muhammad so he's so you know he's he's friends with rabbis friends with imams friends with christian ministers friends and they are and they are there in conversation with them he's engaging with popular culture folks right if you know i mean a whole bunch of hip-hop artists are always seeking him seeking out him for advice sure. counsel and so the legacy of the nation of islam expands and shifts even as the numbers are down under louis farrakhan right now when it comes to x's legacy it's 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 hard to I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, it's really difficult to say. I would say in terms of, in terms of his intellectual legacy, there's probably no one greater in religious studies than James Cone, who would probably um, solidify that. He's very Cone's very clear about X's influence on his theological thinking. So I think that's where it is I, I would be i'd be hard pressed to say i don't think we i don't think we this is this is probably a sad place to end this but i don't think we revere him as much as we should i think he is always understood as a foil to martin luther king yeah and, and that becomes the the ugliness of um is that that becomes the sad tragic part of it yeah yeah um i think i think that's 100 percent true yeah. yeah. Okay, and then there's there's one more kind of legacy that you had mentioned when we were talking earlier about five uh, percent. So this is this is something I'm I'm flying completely blind. I mean, <laughs> I I do not claim to be a scholar on any of the rest of this, but I've just heard about it and uh, I know yeah. who Louis Farrakhan is generally. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, Tell me about the 5%. I'm just, I was, uh, yeah, we don't I have to do this go. long. <laughs> we won't, if we don't talk long about this, I'll let you go. No, I mean, long and short is, you know, it all depends. And I'm, I'm always tricked. I'm always trying to like hedge my bets here because I am, um, 
I, I'm a scholar, but I know that that folks listen sometimes. Like, so I've had P five percenters email me. Um, but anyway, long and short, there is a I forget the name of it. I believe it's Lost Found Muslim Lesson Number Twenty. I, I just I mentioned it earlier. I can't remember that specifically the lesson, but the lesson essentially says it's catechism. It's you know if you know Catholic churches, you know what catechism is. You ask people ask you questions. You recite the answer that is given to you, and so it's catechism, and it's you know they they ask you know who is God. And uh, the response in the Nation of Islam catechism is, you know, the God, God is black, is the black man, right? And, 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 and long and short, there's a man named Clarence 13X, who in the, in the 60s, he is um, becoming part of this group of uh, the Nation of Islam security force called the Fruit of Islam. Uh, the Fruit of Islam have to memorize these things back and forth and if you're really good you become part of what they call the advanced fruit of islam so you're now training people as much as you know it he becomes part of that uh but he realizes and it all depends on which story you tell so there are a couple of options here but one option is he splits from the nation because of theological differences which is to say even though the nation says black the black person collectively or the black man collectively is god they still revere W.F.R. Muhammad as the embodiment of Allah. And so some people say that the split happens because he comes out and says each and every black man is God. Right. So that's the first option. The second option is, is that he is interested in bringing these teachings of black dignity to the streets in New York to young folks who need it. Um, and so this option was it's it, it's a little tricky. They essentially suggest that um, in this particular case, he splits from the nation of Islam because he's willing to do things that the nation, that members of the nation are not allowed to do, which is say drink, smoke, all those things that would attract kids, young teenagers to come listen to you do those things. So he's out here gambling. Either way, what happens is he splits and develops this new entire system it's a it's a it's a beautifully complex we don't we're not going to go into it today but it is <laughs> incredibly beautifully complex numerological and alphabetical system for understanding the world called the supreme mathematics and the supreme um, alphabets i will not tell you what's in it because because i would i would get destroyed if i did but what i will tell you is is that if you listen to hip-hop music you will hear some of it right mm -hmm. so all of this to say he develops this brilliant system, this gorgeous system that allows for uh, members to uh, to to show and prove their divinity by using these systems to understand the meaning of the world. Um, and so in this particular movement, if you are initiated as a God, no one can tell you anything. You disagreement. There is no, there is no, like, you know, people fight. There is no sitting anyone down. There aren't ministers. That, that's not how this works. Gods train other gods. And so all of this simply to say, um, you know, one of the legacies of the outgrowth of the nation of Islam is this, this other track, this other, like, beautifully democratic, but also, and they'll hate me for this, but beautifully democratic, but also incredibly patriarchal. Mm -hmm organization this orientation of people but but it's it's it, it's such a fascinating movement um and in certain ways it carries that that punch that x had right i don't know how else to say it it carries that because it empowers black folks in some very real ways so that's a but we can talk about that all day uh, we were here for malcolm x i would say in terms of legacy i i, I return to it i just I just, I, I always lament and mourn 
the loss or, or the, 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 the minimizing of his legacy. I think that's a more hopeful um, and beautifully complex place to leave it, I think. Um, and yeah. certainly is, is um, fascinating and, and something to check in on too, um, from my perspective. Okay, so, yeah. all right, self-promotion time real quick. And um, yeah. you just signed signed a deal for a book. You got uh, something finalized. Uh, tell me about that. I signed a um, I signed a while ago, but it's an academic press. Uh, my book entitled Black Life Matter will be coming out in December or January. Um, so either December this year or January next year. I think we were slated for January of next year, so don't give me a line. But yeah, so it'll be it's, it's entitled Black Life Matter. I'll be sure to give you yeah. the website and so you can so people can see it and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that book's coming out. Um, yeah, I'm excited about it. It's my first Great. single authored book. So um, congratulations. That's thank awesome. you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about we'll have to schedule time to talk about it when it comes out because I don't want to do nothing away. Yeah, uh, no, yeah. don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll find some time to talk about it yeah. at that point. But thank you. Yeah, definitely. Right on. Dr. Okay. Biko Mandela Gray, um, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and um, hopefully it won't even be until December that we talk again, but if if not, let's, uh, let's do it then. That sounds perfect. We'll talk soon, okay? that's the show for this week. Again, special thanks to Dr. Biko Mandela Gray. Order his book, Black Life Matter, Blackness, Religion, and the Subject. I'm going to include a link to his work so that you can follow and pre-order as that becomes available. The book that we had talked a bit about is called Malcolm X, A Life of Reinvention, and that's by Manning Marable. I'm going to include a link to that wonderful book in the show notes so that you can reference that so thanks to Phil Nellis for doing the art for this show. Thanks to Orbach for providing the music. We'll talk to you soon. Now go in peace to love and serve.